Good morning. It's great to see you today. Today I want to talk about the myth of greatness. What does it mean to really be great? I've never met anybody that says my goal in life is to be mediocre. I have a dream to be average. No. Nobody is shooting for average. Nobody is shooting for mediocre. Whatever you do in life, your dream would be greatness. Your dream would be success. Jesus gives us an equation of greatness, but it's so different than the way the world would give it. It's, it's like the complete opposite of how we would expect. The world would say, to have greatness, you climb to the top. You maneuver over and around other people to get there. Greatness is everything you can do to reach that position. And then Jesus approaches greatness in a totally different way that goes against everything that we would naturally feel is right. As we talk about this, I'm going to tell the story of what took place as Jesus talked about this. So I'll start with some background in Matthew 20, verses 20 and 21. It says, The wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, came to Jesus with her sons. She bowed before Jesus and she asked him to do something for her. Jesus asked, what do you want? She said, promise that one of my sons will will sit at your right side in your kingdom and promise that the other son will sit at your left side. She wanted her sons to have greatness. You know, at this time, they believed he was the Messiah. They started believing this, but a lot of them had confusion of what the Messiah meant. So they believed that Jesus was going to build this great kingdom on earth That's why when he was talking about that he was going to die and go away, they thought, what? And that's also why when they saw him crucified, they lost faith for a while because they didn't expect this to happen. They really believed that he was building this great kingdom on earth. And since he's going to be this great king, she, as a good mom looking out for her children, want her children to have greatness. So make sure that my children are on your right side and left side. That means give them the best two positions In your kingdom. So this is what she's asking for. I think we all have moms that would want us to have the best that we could ever have. And that's what she's doing here. But you see how this affects the other 10 disciples. In Matthew 20, 24, it says the other 10 followers heard this and they were angry at the two brothers. They got angry at them. So you guys bring your mom in to try to get the greater spots. They're believing the same thing. They're believing that this is going to be a great kingdom on earth, a natural kingdom. It is a great kingdom on earth, of course, but it's not what they're looking for. They're thinking in manly eyes. And so they think if indeed there is a top position, we're in the running for that. If indeed there is a top position, we're going to fight for that position too. We're going to compete against each other to be in the highest position we can be. So they're thinking just like the world. Nothing spiritual about it. They know that Jesus is a spiritual man, but they're still thinking in a worldly way about what's going to happen. And then Jesus calms them down, and we have a paradigm shift of what it means to be great. And when he says this, this is so outside of the way that anybody would naturally think about greatness. And here's what he says. In verse 25, 
He called the followers together. The rulers loved to show their power of people. The important leaders loved to use all their authority, but it should not be that way amongst, among you. If one of you wants to be great, then he must serve the rest of you like a servant. If one of you wants to become first, then he must serve the rest of you like a slave. Can you imagine their jaws dropping like, what? He certainly can't mean what he's saying. That to be great, I have to be the servant of the other people. To be great, I have to be the slave to others. There's nothing right about that. You know, this was like shocking them. This was like blowing their mind. And then he goes on to share with them his purpose in life. This should be uh, verse 28. It says, Matthew 20, 28. So it is with me. He's talking about himself, the son of man. The son of man did not come for other people to serve him. He came to serve others. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's given his life purpose. He says, do you want to be great in my kingdom? You have to be like me. What did Jesus go around doing? Serving everybody else. Ministering to their needs. Thinking about others before himself. What does a servant have to do? When you're serving people, you're thinking about them, not yourself. What does a slave do? Thinking about them, not yourself. And he's saying, that's what it means. Do you really want to be number one or number two in my kingdom? <laughs> yeah, you really want to be leaders in my kingdom? Okay, become slaves. You know, last time I saw any sort of thing that like say, any slaves volunteer over here? I don't see people volunteering to be a slave. Because it goes against everything we want. It goes against what we think leadership is. But leadership is really about me serving you. That's what leadership is. Me serving you. We want to serve other people. That's what a great leader is in the kingdom of God. You know, the first become last. You know, in order to be great, you serve. To be the best, you become the least. You know, it's a, a way of thinking that blew their mind. And even though this was said 2,000 years ago... When you tell people that in today's world, it still blows people's mind. It still goes against everything we want. Everything that we believe is going to be successful. You know, we think as a leader, people are going to serve me. And that's the problem with leadership throughout the world. Do you know, over a billion people are suffering from their own leaders in their own countries, their governments. Because... The governments are designed for the people to serve me rather than it being designed for me as a leader to serve the people. That's a problem. Anytime when leaders believe that they're in this position to be served rather than understanding that they're in this position to serve the people, then you're going to have problems. Over a billion people in our world today are suffering from the own leaders of their countries because of how things are done. It's designed to serve them and they take the cash, they take the money, they open up bank accounts in Switzerland and here and there. And, you know, that, that's a major problem over the world. Over a billion people are suffering from their own governments. People that they voted in power. And this is how they treat them. Because that's what the world thinks is greatness. 
And God is saying, no, greatness is I'm here to serve you. I'm here to care about you. And it's a tough message. It's hard to swallow. It's even harder for men. Do you know that women are three times more likely to serve or volunteer than men? Three times more likely. So it's hard for men to swallow this idea of what it means to be a real leader. A real leader is somebody that's here to serve you. If you're doing a business, think about it. You're running a business. If you really want to be successful, you have to do it Jesus' way. You run a business, make sure the customer is served. Serve them well. What you're doing is you're always thinking about the customer more than yourself. If you're only thinking about making money off the customer, you're probably going to make the wrong choices, right? And you're probably not going to be that successful. You're going to turn away people. But if you're always thinking, what's the best way that we can really give service to the customer? And then you'll succeed. Because following Jesus' example is what works. What works. Not following greed or anything else, but really caring about the people. You have a product and you really care about people, and you're doing everything you can to make this product a great service for them, not just a scheme to make money, and it's maybe a bad product. So Jesus is right. When you put it into practice, it always works. I want us to talk about the whys and the hows of being a servant. As a Christian, Jesus calls us to be different. We're called to be a light to the world, which means if we're not serving... That light is really dim. It's low wattage. And we, want it to, we really want to be a, a light. So in your notes, why should I be a servant? Number one in your notes, I was created for service. I was created for service. We, were, we weren't created just to take up space or become extra baggage in the world. We weren't created even to make money or to accumulate things. We were created by God to serve one another. That's a part of loving one another. You love one another, you serve one another. You love your wife or husband, you serve them. It goes hand in hand. Ephesians 2.10 says, It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. Long ago, he planned that we should spend our lives in helping others. That's just another way of saying in serving others. Long ago, this was his plan, meaning before you were born, God already had a plan for your life. Your plan was to serve others. I ask people to look at what's your gifts and talents, your heart's passion, your abilities, your personality type, your experiences. How can you use that for God? Well, what would that really mean to use it for God? You, that would mean to use it to serve others. What am I talking about? How you were created. Like your gifts and talents, that, that's something that just you're born with, God gave you. Your personality, that's something God gave you, right? You know, your past experiences, I guess you could say God allowed you to go through those things. You know, but you have certain abilities that God gave you. And I'm saying, how can you use that for God? What I'm saying is, how can you use that to serve others? That's what that means. How can you use that to serve others? Because you were created ultimately to serve others, to use your gifts and talents to make this world a better place. As a result of living on this planet, you wanna, you'd like to see that the world's better because you were here. But it can only be better 
because you're here, if you're using your gifts and talents and how God created you to make it a better place by how you love and how you serve other people. So that is why God created you. That's one of the reasons. Number two, why should I be a servant? It proves that I belong to Christ. One of the things about being a servant is it shows that you really are a Christian. It's one of the evidences like, wow, you can see that that person's a real Christian. Why? Well, look at how they serve people. In other words, they're constantly putting people above themselves. They're loving their neighbor even greater than themselves. In Romans 12, 5, it says, you're part of the body of Christ. Now you belong to him in order that we might be useful in, his, in this service to God. You're part of God's body. It's evidence that you're part of God's body, the Christian family, because of your service to God. And how is service to God shown? By how you serve one another. That's what service to God is all about. Number three just confirms what I'm already saying. It's because serving God is serving others. Because serving God is serving others. Here's how it says it in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It's the Lord you're serving. So you have a job, and you think you're serving this boss or the company. But the Bible is saying, no, no, no. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's different. You're working, and you're serving the Lord. It's not the men. It's not the company. It's not your boss that you're serving. Because you're a follower of Jesus, you're working at it with all your heart because you're serving the Lord by how you serve. So for us, we don't really serve men. We do it for God. The reason why you want to work well for your company or wherever you are is because you're doing it for God. That's where your heart's going. Why? Because when you're serving others, you are serving God. This next one's a tough verse. It's, tough, it's a tough passage. This was toward the end of Jesus' ministry on earth here. Uh, back in those days, I'm, he's still ministering to us, of course, today. But this was the end of his ministry there uh, during those uh, 30 years that he had here on earth. And toward the end, he starts teaching things that are tougher, stronger messages to hear. And here's what he says in Matthew 25. He's talking about judgment day. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Like, whoa, what's he about to say? You know, this sounds pretty serious. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. The idea is they didn't serve those that were hungry. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. They weren't helping them. Apparently they had the ability to help them or else he wouldn't say this. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and eating clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? Like, God, we didn't, Jesus, you were never naked and eating clothes. You weren't hungry. What are you talking about? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Whoa. What he's saying is, when you're not serving the people, you're not serving God. 
Or when you're rejecting the people, you're rejecting God. See, we don't have a problem in today's world saying, I'm going to serve God. Our problem is we don't want to serve people. But God, what Jesus is making clear is the only, there's only one way that you can serve God. It's how you serve people. That's the only way. How can you serve God? You know, can you give food to God when he's hungry? No. Can you give clothes for God to wear when he's cold? No. Can you vi visit God when he's sick? No. How are you going to serve God? There's only one way you can serve God. It's how you serve the people around you. So that's what it means to serve God. It shows our faith. It shows that we're sincere by how we show love to others by serving others. Number four, it gives my life meaning. When you're serving, it gives your life meaning. You, give, you get purpose through serving. Knowing what your gifts and talents are. Knowing why you're put here on earth. Like, how did God create me? He made me in a certain way that I'm good at doing this service, whatever it would be. And they do it because that's, it gives you meaning and purpose, a reason for living. If you go to work just to pay your bills, then that's just existing, right? There's not much purpose in that. I go to work to pay my bills so that I can live another month and work and pay my bills. So that I can live another month to work to pay my bills. So that I can live another month to work to pay my bills. That, what a horrible life that is. You know, month by month, just what kind of existence is that? It's a bad existence, but it's existing. When you understand your purpose, I'm here for a reason. God wants me to use my gifts and talents for the good. And then you start using those things for the good. Now you think, okay, I have purpose now. There's a reason I'm alive. There's a, you know, I have meaning in what I'm doing. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Keep busy in your work for the Lord, since you know that nothing you do in the Lord's service is ever without value. See, there's a lot of things that you're going to do in life that are without value. They're really meaningless. They're a waste of time. A lot of things don't have value in life. But every time you're serving the Lord by serving other people, there's always value in it. Anytime you help a young teenager that's heading in the wrong direction and you guide them in the right direction. There's value in that. Anytime you help somebody in poverty get out of poverty, there's, there's value in that. Anytime you help a sick person get well, there's value in that. It's all about what you're doing for other people. There's meaning in that. There's purpose. There's value. You can walk away from that and saying, knowing that you made a difference in the world. But there's a lot of things that have absolutely no value uh, to your life or to the life of others. Mark 8, 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What does this mean? It's talking about giving your life away for God. Giving your life away for God. So God, I'm going to serve you. And how do I do that? By giving my life away to others. How am I using my time? Is my time being used in a way that's helping children, helping other people, helping the elderly? You know, whoever it is. People have psychological needs. 
People have emotional needs. People have physical needs. People have mental needs. People have, you know, you can go on and on, social needs. We have so many different kinds of needs. God's wired you to help people. Now, you might be wired to help people more with their material needs. Somebody else might be wired more to help them with their spiritual needs. Somebody else might be wired more to help people with their emotional needs. What I'm trying to say this is just look at who you are and how God's made you and serve others. Don't do it my way because we have different personalities, different gifts. But together, we can help, help everybody. And every need is important. And that's what God's called us to do. When you give your life to God, when you follow Him, when you do what He says, when you serve others, you have purpose and meaning. It's like, wow, my life is really making a difference in the world. And number five, it will be rewarded for eternity. In John 12, 26, it says, my father will honor the one who serves me. Someday God's going to honor that. On this earth, you might not be honored. You know, Mother Teresa, she had a Nobel Peace Prize, I believe. But most people that serve don't get that. Most people that serve, you're never going to be known. You're never going to be recognized for the service that you do. But God sees it. And that's the whole point. We're doing it for God. We're not really doing it for everybody else to see. We just think, wow, how can my life be used to bless other people's lives? Now, it is possible that you start a ministry, you start a you know, you come up with a product that you think is going to bless everybody's life, and you put it on the market, and you become a billionaire. There are people that get very wealthy helping out other people. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But in general, most everyday service is you don't get recognized for it. If you're walking in the parking lot, and there's trash, and you see it, so you just pick it up because you don't want people coming to the church, new people, to see trash there. So you pick it up and throw it in the trash can. No one's going to maybe even see you do that. But you're not doing it for that reason, right? You're just doing it because you're trying to make things better. You don't pick it up and throw it in the trash and then come running to me. Jimmy, I want you to know I threw some trash away. You, don't, you, know, you wouldn't do that, right? It would be kind of silly. You just do it because you love other people. You're thinking about others rather than yourself. What are you doing? You're being a servant. You're being a servant. You're being exactly what Jesus says He's a real leader. Those are the real leaders in the world. It's not what the world calls real leadership, but it's what God calls real leadership. Matthew 25, 23. Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Why do we do it? It's not to be recognized by men, but to be recognized by God. Someday God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. What I'm saying is you might do a lot of things that people don't know that you're doing for the good of others just to be a servant. But God sees it all. And when you stand before God, he recognized it. And to him, it's very big stuff. And to the world, it's very big stuff, even though they don't know that you've done it. So how do we move to servanthood? The only way to get there is you move to spirituality. You move to a deeper relationship with God. Because you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. 
Because that's what he said he came to do. Remember, that's his purpose. He came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. That means if God calls me to be like Christ, I'm never more like Christ than I am when I'm serving other people, when I'm helping other people, when I'm meeting people's needs. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we serve others? And you know it's number one? By developing an attitude of humility. Throughout Scripture, it says that God doesn't like it when we're prideful, when we're arrogant. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, And all of you serve each other with humble spirits, for God gives special blessings to those who are humble, but sets himself against those who are proud. Circle humble spirits, special blessings. God gives special blessings to us when we're humble, but he doesn't like pride and arrogance. Humility is a process. It can be achieved. It's something that can be learned. It's not something that you're just born with. You can choose to be humble. You can learn to be humble. And to be a great servant, you have to develop humility because it takes humility to think of others first. I have to humble myself, not put myself first and think I'm better than other people. Humble myself, think of others first. And what naturally happens, you serve them. You serve them. That makes great marriages when two people are serving one another. It makes great police officers when they're there to protect and serve. It makes great leaders when they're there to serve the people. It makes great bosses when you're serving the people. It makes a great company when they're serving the people. It just brings out greatness. Service makes you great. Number two, by growing in security as God's person. By growing in security as God's person. If you're insecure in your relationship with God, you're going to worry about what everybody else thinks. And if you worry about what everybody else thinks, you won't serve the same way. Because you don't want people to make fun of you for what you're doing. I'm going to go and serve that person, but I don't want people to, if I'm hanging out with that person I'm serving, I won't, don't want people to look at me and think I'm like them. Or, you know, whatever. Pride comes in. If you're secure in Christ, you don't care what they think. You really just don't care. You, you see a need and you serve, and you don't care what everybody else thinks because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for God. You're doing it because it's right. You're not doing it for public is what I mean. You're doing it for that person that has the need. You're doing it for God. But if you care what everybody else thinks, you might not give that person money because you don't want to be criticized by somebody else. You might not lend them something because you don't want to be criticized by somebody else. You might not help that person because you don't want them to say, what are you doing? Why would you be so stupid to give them that? Because you're doing it because of your relationship with God and that person. If you're not secure in your relationship with God, you'll worry about what the people think and then you don't do it. But if you're confident in your relationship with God, you really just don't care about the criticism. People are going to criticize you if you do something good. People are going to criticize you if you do something bad. Don't think that they only criticize you when you do bad things. Sometimes you get more criticism when you're doing something good. People like for you to be mediocre. I said this a few weeks ago. People are very happy when you're mediocre because then it doesn't challenge their life. But if you start living a life for God, it's uncomfortable for them. 
I don't like that Jimmy. I like the Jimmy that's just being mediocre and then I feel comfortable. But if he's really going for God, then I recognize I'm not. I don't like it. And you'll be criticized by family members and friends, the people closest to you. That's who you'll get the criticism from. Don't be mediocre. Be willing to take the criticism. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? If I'm trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Believe me, if you're trying to please men, you wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So you have to make a decision. Who am I here for? Am I here to please God or people? If I'm here to please God, I'm going to care for the needy. If I'm here to please men, I'm going to look at what everybody else is saying to do and try to fit in. Don't try to fit in. Don't try to fit in. If loving people and loving God makes you an outsider, then be an outsider. Be an outsider. We need outsiders. We need people in this world that's willing to say, I'm not willing to live like everybody else. I'm willing to be different. And they look at you and they can see that. And we need people that we live a life that makes them feel uncomfortable. Because they know that they're being greedy. They know that they're being selfish. And it makes them feel uncomfortable to see somebody that's not greedy, that's not selfish, that cares about other people. And they need that. They need that conflict within them. And no matter how much they see it in the Bible, until they see it in the lives around them, it won't change them. But when they start seeing people do it, and they go through that conflict that they need to go through, it puts them at a point of decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to continue in the direction I'm going, or am I going to change? They need your example. You're not doing it to, to boast or anything, but they need people that really love God and love people. They need those examples. They need to feel uncomfortable with their greed, with their selfishness. And they'll only feel comfortable when they see humble, honest people just caring in front of their eyes. And it changes their lives. When I was younger, I had no mental thing about the environment or anything like this. I just didn't care, didn't really know that much about the environment, didn't think about it. And I was with these people and, uh, that were friends of mine. And I decided to jump into Lake Tahoe and take a bath. And I took some shampoo. And one of uh, the guys, he was so disappointed in me. And he said, that's so bad for the environment. You're not supposed to do shampoo. Like, <laughs> it's, it's very bad to, to, you know, it's not made for that. You know, so, and he, and he was just being sincere. And then I made fun of him. Oh, you're too serious. You know, you know. I was young and all this type of stuff, but really it affected me. It really like hit me hard, you know, because deep in my heart, I knew he's probably right, you know. So I was just like in the moment making fun of him. You're too serious about this. And the funny thing is I never have ever done anything like that since because that one guy that he wasn't being prideful. He wasn't being arrogant. He was just being a good guy that thought, oh, Jimmy, you shouldn't do that. And I never did anything like that ever again. Now, he might think that he didn't affect my life because I made fun of him. Oh, you're too serious, all this type of stuff. Because at the time, I, that's where my maturity was way back in 30 years ago. But he changed my life. He changed my life. What I'm trying to say to you is you don't know the impact you're making. But believe me, you're making an impact when you make a stand for the right thing. 
And that person that gives you a hard time for making that stand is probably the person you're affecting the most. That's why they're giving you a hard time. Because it's making them battle within themselves about something that they never battled before. And it's making them feel guilty about something that, they've do, that they're doing that they never felt guilty be, about before. And they don't like that. But you're winning them over to a better life. So don't think that you're not. You're making an impact. Number three, by reminding myself of what God has done for me. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? In other words, when you think of what God's done for you, is it really too much to ask that you serve others? When you think, like, how good God has been to me, is he asking me too much to be good to other people? How much has God blessed me? Well, I wasn't born in Haiti in a family where the dad would work 10 to 12 hours a day for between $100 and $200 a month. What does that give you? You're living in a shack that you built yourself, and it's enough money for the family to get rice and beans every day. That's it. No car. The only clothes you get is because people donate clothes to you. I wasn't born in that family. I have so much to be grateful for. Believe me, there's, there's a lot of people, over a billion people are in poverty. Poverty. I'm not talking about poor. America, we have poor. I'm talking about poverty. Over a billion people are in poverty. I have so much to be grateful for. When you think about how much God has blessed you, great servants become grateful servants. You're just like, man, God's done so much for me. He's not asking me that much to serve others. In other words, he's so good to me. Why wouldn't I be good to somebody else? It should be a natural outcome of our gratefulness. But if we're not grateful, that means you just shut your eyes to what's really happening around you. Because no matter what you're going through, you're way better off than other people. This isn't a happy story, but when I was going through my toughest time in life, God blessed me by seeing something on the internet that I wasn't looking for. And it was talking about the poverty that was going on. I forget the country now, but it was one of the places in Africa. And it shows this little kid, and he was so hungry, he was trying to drink the urine from the cow. And I thought, oh. And I matured that day. Because no matter how much I was going through and felt like God was 100 miles away or thousands of miles or millions of miles away because of the pain I was in, I grew up that day. I realized, I'm not suffering. I was emotionally devastated, but that day I realized I was not suffering. I was not suffering. Because I believe I'll probably never get so thirsty that I would want to drink the urine of a cow. Okay. That's the real world that we live in. If you're not grateful, your eyes are closed. If you're not grateful, you're not looking at what God's doing in your life. We have so much to be happy about. We have so much to praise God about. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. You're taking God's blessings. You're helping others to pass those blessings on. Number four, by pursuing wisdom. 
Godly wisdom is available to those who seek it. If you're a believer, you can have wisdom from God to help you. In Proverbs 2, 3 through 5, it says, cry out for wisdom, beg for understanding. So make it a part of your prayer life. God, I want wisdom. Give me wisdom. It says, search for it as you would for silver. I'll tell you what. If I knew that there was silver hidden somewhere in my home or something, meaning that you're going to be wealthy if you find it, I'd probably look for it pretty hard. If you knew that somewhere on your property there was a hidden treasure, you would dig and dig. You wouldn't say, oh, my hands are hurting. I'm no more for me. I'll let somebody else find it. No, you go out and buy gloves and you keep digging. If you knew, I'll be set for life, you'd probably do that. It says, search for it as you would for silver. Hunt for it like hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to respect the Lord. It's saying, seek wisdom. You want all the wisdom you can get from God. But why would we want that wisdom? It's ultimately so that we can live for God, right? So we can serve Him. So we can have the wisdom on how to serve. Because there might be a right place for you to serve. There might be a right time for you to serve. There might be a right group of people for you to be serving. If you're not using wisdom, you might lose that opportunity. Because I think opportunities are there, but we need the wisdom to see the opportunities and to handle the service right. Sometimes we as Christians, we try to rescue people. And what we're doing is we're helping the same person over and over and over, but they don't want to help themselves. It could be a son, it could be a daughter, but what we're doing is we're just enabling them. And sometimes the best thing you can do is Sometimes you have to say, you need to either go out and try to find a job or I'm kicking you out of the house. And if they don't go out and try try to find a job, you kick them out of the house. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do. So you need wisdom of the situation. In my particular situation, what is the best thing to do? Because sometimes the best thing you can serve somebody is you either start trying to help yourself or I'm not going to help you. But there's other people that you give them a little help to get them on their feet and they're going to take off. Because they really want the help. They don't want just a free handout and not do anything. They really want to make it in the world. And just a little support, a little help, a little encouragement, they're on their way. So you want the wisdom to know, am I really helping this person or am I hurting this person? And you want to help as many people as you can and, and not miss those opportunities. Number five, by getting your heart right. Serve for the right reason. You don't serve to get recognition in a church or anything like that. You're just serving because you love God. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful when you do good things. Don't do them in front of people to be seen by them. If you do that, then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. This doesn't mean that people won't see what you do. Talk about motive. You don't do it for the sake of getting brownie points. You do it for God. You you don't care if people know that you're doing it or not because that's not why you're doing it. You're serving because you love God. A person with the right heart would be someone that when there's a mess and everybody's leaving, without even being asked, they stay and help clean up. Because that's like thinking like a servant would think, right? They're just automatically, no one said, hey, I need some, uh, can anybody help stay and clean up? They just do it automatically. You would never have to say anything. They're just going to do it because they're servants in their heart. That's a maturity that Christ talks about. We're here to serve people. 
That's, that's being like Christ. A right heart is going to serve with humility, security, thankfulness, wisdom, and have the right heart. And it takes the right heart to be least rather than the best, to be willing to be last rather than the first, like Christ said. Shortly after World War II, Europe began to pick up the pieces, and there was a lot of destruction, a lot of ruin there. But in Europe, really the hardest thing that they had to deal with now was because the war was fought and bombs here and there and everywhere, is they, they had this extraordinary amount of orphans. Parents were killed by, in the war because the war was happening in their country. When we think about war, we're sending somebody out of our country. The war happened in the country. You know, Germany would drop bombs in London and it would kill families and there'd be a kid or two still alive with no parents. And they didn't have social programs set up yet. They, they were in the middle of war. So they thought, what are we going to do with all these orphans? You know, these poor kids that were, you know, and some of their dads, you know, their mom got killed here and their dad got killed in the war fighting for the country. And they weren't prepared to, what do we do? We have these kids that are just suffering. They're in the streets and they were, they were starving. One American soldier, he was in London and he was driving back to his barracks and he saw a kid by a donut shop or bakery. And at the bakery, the kid's nose was pressed against the, the window, just looking and watching them make the bread and this and that. So he felt compassion. So he pulls over, and uh, he could tell by the kid's dress and everything that he was just one of the orphans. He goes in there and buys a, do- a dozen donuts. And then he gives the donuts to the kid. The kid didn't know what he was going to do. He just grabbed them and went to the kid and said, here. And the kid said, thanks. He was shocked. He was like really, really happy and really hungry. And then as the soldier started to walk away, he said, Mister, are you that Jesus that everybody talks about? I started thinking, the kid's right. You never look more like Jesus than you do when you're serving somebody else. That was the Jesus that everybody talks about. Because sometimes you're going to be the only Jesus that people ever see. And they're going to only see it when you're serving them. A lot of people are never going to pick up the Bible. The only Jesus they're going to see is the love that you show the people around you. Let's be servants. Let's be Jesus to this world around us. Let's pray. Dear God, we realize that to be the servant of all, that is greatness. Lord, and we want to be great people. We want to serve people. We want to be Jesus to this world around us. We want to show this world love and care. So, Lord, we commit to serving others in every way that we know how. We commit to trying to discover how you've wired us, our gifts and talents, so we can best serve you. Lord, we want the wisdom to serve in the most effective ways possible. We want to serve with the right heart. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to use us in a mighty way to make this world a better place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.